Welcome to the Inspired by Adventure Podcast, Season 3, Unique Entrepreneurs. Here is your host, serial entrepreneur, Wayne Brown. Welcome to Inspired by Venture, Season 3. I'm Wayne Brown, serial entrepreneur and this season's host. We will be exploring the lives of fellow entrepreneurs, how they got started, what motivates them, and share their business experiences. Entrepreneurs are a different breed. We're risk takers. Gut feeling drives a lot of our decisions, and we thrive on change. We have learned what it takes to surmount difficulties and create success against all odds. The fact that we and our companies are still standing is evidence enough that we have a wealth of knowledge to share with all of you. All right, good evening, everybody. Today we have as our unique entrepreneur, Amy Curlin. Amy founded the world famous Bluebird Cafe in Nashville. Even people that are not into country music have heard of the Bluebird Cafe. It's been called the Ellis Island for aspiring country music singers and, and songwriters. And if you want to make it in country music, you have to make your pilgrimage to the Bluebird Cafe. Amy, thank you for being with us today. I'm delighted to be here, Wayne. Thanks for asking. This is going to be um, probably one of the most unique entrepreneur segments we do this season. So I'm um, happy to, uh, to have uh, the time with you today. We always start asking a little bit about people's background, where they're from, how they ended up where they are today. Uh, and I think in your case, um, there's even some uh, a little musical uh, family history. So if you can give us a, a, a background, that would be great. Sure. So my parents are both from Brooklyn, New York, and they knew each other in high school. Uh, but when they married, my father was a Juilliard trained violinist, and he got a job teaching music at the University of Tulsa in Tulsa, Oklahoma. So I was born in Tulsa, but I really don't remember uh, because we moved away. He went up to Ithaca, New York, and he taught at Cornell for a few years. And then when I was eight years old, he got a job in Nashville uh, at George Peabody College, again, teaching music. One of the reasons he took that job is that the people down here in Nashville told him that if he worked as a college professor teaching music, he would get a lot of work in the recording studios on the side and make a lot of extra money. And uh, that is, of course, exactly what happened. In fact, within three years, he quit being a college professor and worked full time in the studio and ended up being, you know, one of the top session players and certainly the top session violinists uh, in Nashville uh, at a time when music here was sweetened with violins uh, a lot of that country politan sound of the 70s and early 80s is my dad that's that's great so you um uh, decided back in the early 80s you were going to uh, use some of your culinary training and open up a cafe yeah i i went to college and i thought i would go to law school and somewhere in that process i thought no i really want to open up a restaurant uh, and so I, I graduated from college with an English degree, and then I went to culinary school. I am a culinary school dropout. Uh, and then I started talking about opening up a restaurant. I, I had some money that my grandmother had left me, and I was dating a guitar player. This is very dangerous. 
I don't know. Uh, I suppose if you want to get in the music club business, that might be important, but otherwise it's not the greatest idea in the world. And he said, if you open up a restaurant, my friends and I will all come and play over there. And so that's what I did. I rented a place in my own neighborhood that I knew very well, and we put in a stage and some friends I knew from high school, you know, from growing up here who were in the restaurant business, they became my uh, kitchen staff and the boyfriend and his buddies uh, played music in the evening. So we had a very sweet little flowered tablecloth lunch place with a rock and roll club at night. So, uh, you know, I've had the, um, uh, the um, great fortunate um, um, time to be uh, there at the Bluebird a couple times in the past. The last has been a while, it's probably 2005 or six I was there. But uh, reading some of your, your history, you originally was going to open up a, a gourmet style restaurant and maybe occasionally have music. Uh, when I was there, that certainly was not the uh, the way it was being managed and 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 ran. So what what occurred in those early years to change that? Well, you know, it's it's always the strangest things that determine your course in history. I mean, one of them is that the music was doing so well. Everybody liked coming to the Bluebird, and lots of great musicians were playing there, and they were getting discovered. Kathy Matea got discovered at the Bluebird around 1982, and Steve Earle was playing at the Bluebird then, that sort of thing. And you couple that with the fact, and this is the ridiculous part, that we have a very small parking lot with neighbors sharing the parking. And so during the day when we were serving lunch, it was a constant battle over the parking, and it was a constant battle to keep cooks and keep servers doing a good job. And in the evening, it was a party. It was fun. There were no parking issues because all the other businesses around me were daytime businesses. So, you know, when you think about what makes a business happen, sometimes it is something as simple as a parking issue. Uh, but we were doing pretty well with the lunch business, and I've been doing it for about five years, contending with those issues, and I was doing both. And that's a long day for a young person in business, you know, to be going in at eight or nine in the morning, sometimes having to do the cooking because the chef didn't show up, staying till closing time. And I uh, also had a tremendous feeling that I had no idea what I was doing. So I took myself over to the local community college and started taking a number of their small business classes. And the most meaningful of those classes, and I took, you know, how to own and operate a small business and how to manage people, all of those things helped me tremendously. But the one that really made a difference was when I took a marketing class, because that was the first time that anybody said to me, you have to decide what it is you are doing, what it is you want to do. You cannot be everything to everybody. And I stood back and I looked at the all the issues during the day with the lunch and all the fun during the evening with the music. And I said, I'm going into the music business. I'm going to drop the lunch business. It was just about five years after I had uh, gone into business. And uh, immediately I went from uh, a fair amount of very poor uh, financial records, you know, in the red many, many months 
to it starting to look a whole lot better because all that staff that's required for lunch was quite a drain. Well, you obviously uh, made the right decision uh, at the right time and uh, has, has, has been a, a great um, addition to, uh, to Nashville. You. you know, a lot, of, a lot of, especially young entrepreneurs starting out um, have so many ideas that they're, they're working on, uh, running around in their head. Uh, but obviously, we need to boil those down to focus on the, the one or two that's going to make a difference uh, right now in, in our business. How have you, uh, uh, in, in your early career, when you had all those ideas that you wanted to, to work on, been able to, to get those down to the one or two you needed to focus on to be successful? You know, I say we're a music club, and when I started, I really didn't even think about what kind of music I wanted to have. Again, I wanted the boyfriend to have a place to play. Well, he was a loud electric guitar player, and he worked in bands. And I liked jazz, and jazz bands were calling me to play, and I was hearing from gospel bands, and that seemed like a good idea for Sunday nights. And then a beautiful thing happened somebody organized a writer's night, a show where the writers of the songs came up and one after the other played both the songs that they had had hits with and the songs that that hadn't happened for yet. And uh, the one thing about it, the club, the way it had been was I got a lot of complaints that it was too noisy. It was just too loud. It's a small room, um, 1500 square feet, including the kitchen. So um so here was this writer's night and it was perfect nobody was holding their ears everybody was leaning in like this was the greatest thing they'd ever heard nobody was talking and on top of that it was the biggest night financially i'd had to date and i was like okay i'm gonna focus on writer's nights and over the next few years instead of just thinking about that focus, I just determined that Bluebird Cafe would be a songwriter's venue. Uh, you know, you get to know more and more of the songwriters and it just makes sense. So these days, the Bluebird Cafe is a songwriter's venue 95% of the time, and the other 5% is a blues band that we have some Monday nights. That's great. You know, we have uh, here in Augusta, as they do in a lot of cities, uh, an annual concert called the Guitar Pool. And it's all about the, the uh, stars, the singers coming and just sitting up on stage. It'll be three or four at a time uh, on, at that concert. And they sit up there and they chat and they talk about how the song was made and where they were and who wrote it and, and give you know, personal stories. And then they sing it. And it's, 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 the, it's the hardest ticket to get in town every year because it's just a more intimate experience and people, people just love it. So I can certainly understand um, how that night became so popular with you um, there and in, in, at the Bluebird. Yes, uh, it's interesting because one of the comments I would get the most often would be from people in the audience who would say to me, I didn't really want to come because I don't like country music, but now that I've heard it presented by the singer of the song, I'm totally changed. I like this music now. That's great. And, and it gives an outlet for the, for the songwriters that don't always get to, to be in front of an audience and talk about how they, how they wrote the song and where the inspiration came from. Absolutely. So let's, um, let's talk about technology for a second, because obviously that is driving, uh, today drives everything we do. Um, and so I'm sure it's changed quite a bit for you from the Bluebird when you started 
um, through today. Um, I know, um, especially with uh, the times we're in now, we're doing, you're doing, um, their Bluebird's doing um, uh, YouTube open mic night, which is great use of uh, the current technology. So how did it change from when you started back in the early 80s through, through today? Well, I will just tell you that one of the things I did from a marketing perspective was I wanted to uh, develop a mailing list so that I could send people postcards every month. Well, first of all, let's throw postcards out the window. It was expensive and it took a long time to turn that around and now you can do it by email. But even better than that, in order to develop that mailing list, we decided to have a raffle and we raffled off a Sony Walkman, which was a little portable cassette player. So that's how far things have come in my life is a cassette player that these days you probably could only find one at a Goodwill store was a hot ticket at that time. Uh, now, the some of the technology is you know the same as ever, maybe upgraded. You still have to have a sound system. Uh, they are digitized these days. They're computer run. It makes them a little easier to work with. Still have to have lights for the thing. In my day, uh, we did not have. Uh, the, the servers didn't have, you know, palm things that they could type in the orders on that would just show up in the kitchen. It was all handwritten on tickets with carbon copies. Uh, and, you know, every time you make one of those moves, you think, why do I have to do this? It's going to be a big learning curve and it's going to cost me a lot of money. And then within a short period of time, you wonder how you ever did it the old way. Uh, it's saving you so much to have that technology, so much time and and money. Now, I uh, haven't been running the Bluebird for over 10 years now, but uh, they did a number of streaming shows during COVID, uh, but they didn't go, you know, every day of the week like some of the venues did. Uh, I think uh, Erica Willem Nichols runs the Bluebird now and is doing a wonderful job. And I think she felt that that was not a great use of the downtime for the Bluebird. They've done a lot of streaming uh, private shows, which is interesting in itself, but did not go to an online uh, full calendar of shows. But it will be very interesting to see what happens as uh, clubs return to business, whether they will include a streaming aspect. It would be a, a wonderful way um, to help the musicians make more money, right? There's not, nothing in it for the venue, really, because you can't sell a drink in a basket of chicken fingers to somebody in, you know, 500 miles away. But if you can get an extra five or ten dollars in the basket for uh, the musicians, that is a real bonus. You know, it's they always say that uh, it's it takes disruptions to uh, to move businesses forward. And so obviously, we've had a disruption here in the last 15 months. And even with all my businesses, we've created, I don't know if I put them all together, probably 50 or 60 ways to stay in front of customers when either they 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 couldn't um, come to the to the business or couldn't travel. And you know, probably 10 or 15 of those we'll keep, we'll keep doing just like the Bluebird, you know, doing open mic night because it, it you know, they, they're great for business and makes sense. And it was a, a great innovation that uh, during this time that has helped us, you know, um, uh, have a, have a, uh, ways to stay in front of customers 24 um, seven. 
I mean, Erica was very, it was very important to her to be in everybody's mind. Uh, it really helped, some outside factors helped. The Academy of Country Music did their award show virtually and they chose the Bluebird as one of their sites to do that from. So that was um, two different years. They got that national television exposure, but she continued to send our electronic newsletter every single week and filled it with newsy stuff. And she did, like you said, open mic and their uh, golden pick award uh, happened. And uh, January is the month we raise money for our local nonprofit hospice, Alive Hospice. And uh, we, she went on doing that. Uh, and they actually, uh, more recently, you know, that, now that it's okay, they did some in-person events. They did uh, like Bluebird open house days, mostly to sell um, merchandise, t-shirts and, you know, wine glasses. You know, I, I remember the first uh, streaming uh, mini concert I saw was actually, um, I think, uh, a friend of yours, Ray Herndon, that did it in front of the Handlebar J. Yeah. And and I, I, I happened to catch that and was thinking, man, this this is a great way for, for you know, all the uh, musicians and singers and songwriters to, to, to be in, uh, alive today in this time when they can be in front of as many people as they want. Um, without having to be uh, to be live in in person, so um, great way to, to for every business to uh, to be able to to continue um, uh, engaging uh, their customers. So uh, I asked around some of my staff this week. You know, what what questions um, would you like um, Amy to uh, to answer? And one of them uh, was about the change in country music that that you've seen from when you started the Bluebird back in the early '80s um, to today. Well, country music changes all the time, just like any other music. I mean, rock and roll music changes and blues music changes, maybe a little less. Uh, when I first went into business, uh, country music was in a little bit of a slump. It was tired. Um, I couldn't really even tell you who the big acts were at that point. But by the mid to late 80s, the uh, new traditionalist movement had started with Ricky Skaggs and Randy Travis both bringing back uh, a much more stripped down music and uh, the songs could be emotional and lyric based and everything else. Uh, from my father's day, the, the violins had been phased out and we were back to, you know, small bands and maybe a banjo or a steel guitar. Uh, these days, country music seems to be um, very noise driven to be honest with you and I don't listen to it as much so I'm not an educated person on this but there's just a whole lot of uh, mostly young men singing songs that are things that are lists about what they like you know? <laughs> <laughs> if you look at it that's how I hear them uh, and there is a lot of light shows and a lot of hip thrusting uh, and uh, people seem to love it. It's it's a party. And then there are other people who are out there still making lovely music, you know, they're still uh, lyrically based, but it's not like it's the end of country music or country music has wrecked itself or anything like that. Something else will come along. And of course, out of all that, uh, you had a number of artists who sort of branched off into the Americana field, what would have been called country in 1990, 
uh, and so you have your Jason Isbells and uh, those people and a whole other genre for people to listen to and, you know, to fight about. So uh, I don't, I, I, there is no way for me to project the future except for to say there is a future and some people are going to like some of it and some people are going to have to wait to like some, like it later. Sure. Sure. You know, it's, it's funny. Um, a uh, lot of the new uh, country artists, uh, or, you know, I, I guess maybe forever, they always sing about, you know, what, what they do and what they like. And uh, I thought it was interesting last week when I heard for the first time Darius Rucker's song Masterpiece, when he talks about everything he hasn't done. So I thought that was that was a great way for him to, to write a song that that um, was was so non-traditional, but but, um, you know, it seems like it's going to be a great hit. So let's um, let's talk about uh, customer profiles because they change and we have to change uh, to adapt to them. So how are customers today at the Bluebird different than they were when you opened it in 1982? You know, we have all aged. The customer profile looks a lot like me. You know, in 1982, there were a lot of 25 to 35 year olds hanging out and uh, we have a much older audience now. Uh, I. You know, I don't know that it's so much about the Bluebird. It is, is about what younger people are liking to do these days. And in Nashville, we have a whole part of town that is for people who like to drink and carouse and all that sort of thing. And that's downtown. And that's where the young people go. The Bluebird has a very strict listening room policy. You don't go in there and make noise and talk. And of course, there are young people who want to hear a concert and want to hear good music. And we get those people. But our core audience is probably 50 to 70 uh, with their kids often. You know, it can be it can be families. We do get the occasional bachelorette party, but it's, they have to be some pretty special bachelorettes because we don't even let them in the door if they think they're there to uh, whoop it up. Uh, and, you know, in some ways, that's uh, it's good for the Bluebird. People in that age range have plenty of disposable income. They come in and they're happy to, to spend and everything else. Uh, and I'm not so concerned that we will just age right on out of our uh, audience because one of the most important things about the Bluebird is that it is the songwriter's who bring a crowd. So if we are constantly attracting the younger songwriters, the ones with songs on the charts now, then the people who like that music are the ones who will come. Uh, even though most of my songwriter friends are people who had hits in the early 90s, and they still draw a crowd and they still put on wonderful shows. But over the years, you know, the Bluebird is all about helping the songwriters. And it, so it cannot just be about having my old friends play there. You got to let the new people have their chance. And luckily, they really, songwriters of whatever age, they want to play in front of an audience that appreciates them and what they've done and written. Uh, a lot of songwriters, you know, at one point or another, they may even have had dreams of being artists. And then turned out they didn't have the voice or the charisma or the looks or the drive or whatever. As far as I'm concerned, 
many of the bluebird songwriters should be the biggest artists artists in the world, but they aren't. But they love to have that chance to come out and play in front of a uh, a crowd, an adoring crowd. You know, I'm always surprised when I'm I'm at an event that the songwriters are um, displaying their talents and how well um, vocally, you know, they, they can sing their songs. And I'm always like you, I'm always surprised that they didn't come out with it as number one or number two, uh, rather than just a songwriter. But, uh, yeah, I'm, I, they, they definitely are a very well-rounded, uh, talented, uh, group for sure. Uh, absolutely. You know, it could be something as simple as they wanted to have a home life. You know, they wanted to get married and have children and see their children for supper every night and not go out on the road, you know? Absolutely. So um, like you mentioned earlier, about 12 years ago, you stepped back um, from uh, ownership of the, uh, the Bluebird, but you wanted obviously to keep it dedicated to uh, what you had established there um, as the institution in Nashville to singers and songwriters. So how hard was that decision for you to, to decide to step back and let somebody else um, come in and manage? You know, I was experiencing a certain amount of burnout as glorious as it was to run that place and get to know these songwriters and get to hear some of the greatest shows in the world. There is nothing glamorous or glorious about having to get up at three in the morning because the burglar alarm is going off or because somebody, the bartender locked themselves outside the back door. There's nothing fun about you know, having the health department show up and have to make all those arrangements. And I, this is a tip for your entrepreneur uh, audience, I was not good at hiring a manager and having somebody handle those little things for me. I didn't feel we had enough money uh, and I didn't really trust anybody else. So I did things as basic as clean out the grease trap and, and you know, fix the, you know, install new sinks if I had to good life skills but at some point in there i just reached a place of i want this place to go on forever i want but it's gonna have to eventually it's gonna have to be without me what is gonna be that best way for that to happen and i was driving around in the car and it suddenly came to me in a flash i should give it to the songwriters association now that was a pretty crazy thought but I was at a place at that moment where I, I wouldn't have given it to just anybody, but that seemed like, oh, well, that would work. Well, I called up my old friend, Erica Willem Nichols, who was working at the Songwriters Association. But she had worked for me at the Bluebird for many years as a server, in the office, as a bartender. And as a friend, I asked her what she thought of that idea. And she said, that's, that's interesting. Let me, let me talk it over with the other people down here. And she guided me, shepherded me through that process over the course of a year. I was never forced to do it uh, too fast, or if I'd changed my mind, there wouldn't have been any thing, nobody would have held it against me. Uh, so I got to do it very gently and they were so clear, A, that they wouldn't let me give it to them, that they would give me a uh, discounted price, but something reasonable. And they would provide me with a, 
little income based on the use of the name and the idea, because after all, that's what songwriters live on. And they didn't think it was a good idea for them to take somebody's creative idea and just take it away from them the same way you would want to do that with a song. And so over the course of a year, I made that decision. And I remember maybe a week before we were due to announce it to the public, I went in there all by myself and I sat down on one of our church, church pews in the back of the room and I looked around and I had a much stronger feeling that I was sending my child off to a good college than that I was losing my child and I would never get to do that. And it's funny because people ask me all the time, do you miss it? Well, I live a mile from there. I don't miss it at all. I can visit any time I want. And I do often. I, I drop in and I see a show, uh, but it is never my responsibility unless I want to take it on to notice the paper on the floor needing to be picked up or the tables that need to be bussed. Now, that's not to say that I haven't done it sometimes just because it's an old habits die hard, but the Bluebird is more than it was in my day. Uh, Erica has done a wonderful job, you know, making money on it. She's had some rough breaks and she's obviously, she, she, I didn't have to take it through COVID. And that's a really rough thing. Uh, but I, I sold it to her right just in time for the 2008 global economic meltdown, which actually I think worked out to her advantage. They were a little bit broke but things were slow enough to where they could learn the business without it being too crazy. And right after that, they got the greatest big break in the world when uh, ABC television decided to make a show called Nashville that the Bluebird was the centerpiece of. And um, that wasn't a moneymaker for them at the time, but it, it, has been such an opportunity. Their merchandise sales went through the roof and uh, everything else about the Bluebird you know, did really well. Our, uh, my wife and I were huge fans of that show, Nashville, when it was on. We never, we never um, missed, uh, missed a show. Um, you know, you talked about early on when you started the business and every entrepreneur goes through this the first few years. And sometimes it you know, happens again if you have um, um, uh, downturns. So when you had those tough times early on, what, what inspired you to keep your head up and, and keep pushing forward? Pride and stubbornness. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, I really think that my, my worst character defects were the ones that kept me going. I didn't want to fail. I think everybody thought I would fail and I just didn't want to be that person. Uh, I cleaned up my own personal act uh, right away. I, I, before the Bluebird opened, I used to drink in other people's bars and accept free drinks and stay after hours and be part of breaking the law and all that sort of thing. But boy, once it was my responsibility, that was not going to happen in my place because I had money invested in it, but it wasn't the money. It really was the pride. I wanted to do it right. Uh, and I think anytime things got tough, um, Grace provided me with something that kept me going. I mean, over the years, we haven't even talked about this, but I mean, people got discovered in the Bluebird, including Garth Brooks. I mean, that's a pretty big thing to be part of his career. Uh, and, some, and the careers of songs that I loved 
that wouldn't have gotten onto the radio. You know, to help out, uh, I'm not musical, so to help out other musicians who I love, you know, because I grew up around music, uh, that is just it's the greatest satisfaction in the world. I mean, I wish I could get up on stage and sing harmony. I can't do that, but I can surely provide that stage and provide an atmosphere where other people are really listening. You know, there, we have several uh, small business roundtables here in Augusta that um, we have a group of uh, uh, entrepreneurs that have been through uh, uh, years and years of running their business. And we help new, new uh, young aspiring entrepreneurs. And a lot of the questions we get are, what books should I be reading? What magazine should I be looking at? Uh, what website should I, should I look at or, or, or newspapers I should be reading? Are there, were there early in your career, were there things that you used from 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 to give you inspiration on how you can help better manage and, and run your business well I, I will say that i belong to a small business roundtable up here back in the day and uh out of that group and i know these books are old but i think they still hold up the e-myth and five minute manager were two of the best uh management books and big picture books that uh, I knew about at the time. Uh, as a uh, member of the Restaurant Association, I was able to take a lot of classes through them and, like I said, through the uh, local community college. Uh, I'm, I'm trying to think. I, I mean, I think you have to have a huge um, willingness to be curious and open-minded to what's going on in the world around you and in your own world. You cannot get so locked into what you think, how you think everything ought to be as to just notice how it is going and what's working for you. Uh, and you can, you can learn to do that through, through books because that's helpful. But uh, I, there's not a book that I kept by my bedside and referred back to or anything like that. You know, outside of what we read uh, and and consume, um, every every entrepreneur has had at least one mentor that they can look back on and say, "Wow, they were they gave me great advice, or or they were a great sounding board when I wasn't quite sure what decision I should make." Have you had one of those or more of those in your in your career? Oh, I think a few. I, I remember when I first got started, there was a sort of a local character. His name was Ed White, and he had run a club here in town called the Red Dog Saloon. And uh, he helped he helped me buy some used restaurant equipment from another friend. So he had a little background. And one of the pieces of advice I remember the most clearly, he said, Amy, it's not your living room. Please don't get upset by everybody. Anybody who stubs out, of, you imagine, a cigarette in your carpet, you'll, you'll drive yourself crazy. Don't do that. So I loved having somebody was not a big picture guy. He was a down to earth, never hire a cocktail waitress kind of a guy. That was always a word, you know, hire somebody that you can train, not somebody who's figured out all the tricks. Uh, I suppose I had some musical mentors. There's a songwriter named Don Schlitz who wrote The Gambler and Forever and Ever Amen. And he was one of the early songwriters who played the Bluebird. And uh, he started bringing in his friends to play. And I could trust that if Don chose somebody, they were going to be good. It was almost like Don's giving me the nod. That was a, a good idea. 
Uh, so there's that kind of a mentor, somebody to kind of help you uh, have a little extra confidence in your own abilities. And uh, the guy who was the leader of my uh, small business roundtable, I was in that thing for years, 10 plus. I mean, I didn't stop going until I left the business and I would have kept going if it had been allowed because I liked it so much. And Al McCree, uh, I mean, he was in a completely different business, but that group and his knowledge about how to run business, just to be able to sit around with other peers and say, man, having employees is a pain, isn't it? You know, <laughs> uh, and how we dealt with it. Sometimes it was real basic stuff, how to buy insurance. And sometimes it was bigger picture things. Uh, it was a, a therapist I had who suggested I go to uh, the community college. And it was somebody to whom I confessed, I don't think I know what I'm doing. And instead of saying, oh, of course you do. They said, no, you don't. Here, why don't you go take a class? So many ways. Uh, and I think part of that is based on acknowledge your weaknesses and don't be embarrassed by them. You know, you talked about um, uh, your mentor talking about um, somebody putting out a cigarette in your living room and don't let it get to you. In, in every business I've had where it's all, they've always been customer uh, oriented businesses. And so I've always had my staff come to me and say, oh man, this customer is such a pain. They're, they're difficult and they're, 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 they take a lot of my time and they're high maintenance. And I always tell them even today, those customers know they're high maintenance. They know they're difficult. And if you take care of them, they're going to be our most loyal customers ever because they, they don't want to go anywhere else because they know they might not be able to, uh, to survive at a, uh, with another uh, owner somewhere. Yeah, it's, it's an interesting thing because, like I said at the Bluebird, the, the key to good business was to get the songwriters to want to play at the Bluebird more than anywhere else. And so they were in many ways our customer. We provided them with a working sound system and an audience that was quiet and listening and a lot of things that they really wanted. Uh, even though what they didn't get was a, a green room with a hospitality basket in it. They didn't even make the most money, but they were getting what they wanted. And that put us at a little bit of a loggerhead. Who are you trying to please? Do I let the customer, the guy who's paying me for the drink, talk? Or do I make them be quiet? Because if I run off the songwriter, I'll never get him back. And we opted for the songwriter and the Bluebird's small enough to where we can afford to have the, the customer base that we want, people who care about the music. So my wife and I um, saw there was a um, documentary made on the Bluebird. So we uh, watched it this weekend and uh, kind of to wrap this up with a final question. In that documentary, you talk about where the name Bluebird Cafe came from. Okay, well, you know, I went to the bank. You have to open up a bank account just to start buying the, the wood and the chairs and the tables and everything to build it. And they said, what do you want to call it? I'm like, I hadn't even thought about that yet. That opening it up was still months out. And a couple of names came to mind. Uh, the 4104 Club, because our address is 4104 Hillsborough Road. Or Grandma's Money, because that was how I paid for it. And sort of out of nowhere, the name Bluebird Cafe sprang to mind. And I can't really say where it came from, but I will say there are Bluebird Cafes all over the world. And all of them are independent. There's one in Amsterdam, and there's one in Moscow, and there's one in Denver, Colorado. And uh, 
the when Andy and Barney would go up to Mount Pilot to eat, they would eat at the Bluebird. So anyway, I woke up the next morning and just the one I liked best was Bluebird Cafe. And I said, okay, it's Bluebird Cafe. And to this day, I can be walking through Kroger or wherever and somebody may yell out, hey, Bluebird. And I'm just so happy they're not saying, hey, grandma. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. Yeah. Great story. Uh, any last advice you'd um, want to give to any aspiring entrepreneurs that are that are trying to uh, to, to to make a uh, successful business? We do a lot for our community. Don't forget to take the uh, resources and the gifts that you are given. In my case, it was space to do something to make your your local community a better place. So. At the Bluebird, we, uh, for many years, did a children's show that was free and kids got bussed in from different schools. We still do a senior citizens show and that's been great. And we do a lot of uh, benefits, raising money for local nonprofits. So I think that uh, just don't be totally profit-minded. Uh, have, have, I mean, talking about unique businesses, be doing what you're doing because you care about the business, about who you're impacting with that. I made a difference uh, to creative people. I helped them find work and get their songs cut and become artists. Uh, the bottom line will take care of itself if you're doing right by your mission. That's a great, great, great piece of advice because success doesn't, doesn't uh, limit itself to profit. Success is the whole package together. All right, so everybody, you've been exactly, exactly. So everybody, you've been listening to the incredible story of Amy Curlin and, and the Nashville Bluebird Cafe. And Amy, thank you again for taking the time to be with us today. My pleasure. Thanks for tuning into the Inspired by Adventure podcast. We hope you enjoyed the show. If you haven't already, please subscribe through iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. See you next time.